Today, we are fresh off of Double or Nothing. Who is supposed to be hosting SummerSlam? What is going on with New Japan Pro Wrestling? Actor Paul Walter Hauser is our guest. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, you glorious individuals, you beautiful, wonderful people, happy Monday. If you're in the United States, happy Memorial Day. If you're not in the United States, I still hope that you're ready to not only start the summer, but I hope that you're ready to start the summer of what will be the return of wrestling as we know it, wrestling with fans. Last week, we had a spectacular show talking to Chris Van Vliet, Peter Rosenberg, Dave LaGreca, Hot Daug, Mike Mansuri, Chris, did I say Chris Van Vliet? Kaz! How could I forget the great and powerful, honorable Kazim? All about favorite moments with the crowd. Uh, and I think we're going to experience a lot more of them. Uh, I, you guys know this if you listen to this podcast. I've told you it before. If wrestling is bad, I go to bed in a bad mood. If wrestling is good, it's like I just had my first serving of Dunkin' Donuts cold brew. I'm just on cloud nine, baby. Check out the grin on my face. Ear to ear, baby. And that's how I'm feeling, man. Coming off of a very good pay-per-view, double or nothing. Congrats to everybody involved at AEW with putting on that pay-per-view. Over the weekend, as at the time of this recording, it just happened. But everybody who put it on uh, uh, for us over the weekend, um, and a couple of notes from that. I, I I think first and foremost, and we got this a little bit from them on Friday too, is how great it is going to be, and we'll all be there by July. By July, all of our wrestling, for the most part, you know, there'll, there'll still be some promotions, I guess, that don't. Aren't, aren't so lucky, but all the major American wrestling shows should be in front of fans again in July. WWE is going to be in front of fans. Now, NXT is going to be interesting. Nobody has said anything about what the plan is for NXT. NXT was always filmed in full sale in front of a very limited number of people. So uh, I don't know if the plan is to continue to do NXT television at the Capitol Wrestling Center for the foreseeable future. I would hope TakeOver in your house is June 13th. So that's not July. As a matter of fact, that's actually June 13th. So I would hope that by the next TakeOver, TakeOvers will be back in front of arenas full of people because it makes such a difference seeing significant wrestling moments in front of crowds that are reacting to the moments. It is what, it's truly what reminds us that they are significant. And I got that from watching uh, Double or Nothing. Um, so shout out to the energy that wrestling fans bring to wrestling. Shout out to the fact that wrestling fans show up happy to be there. And when there's good stuff in front of us, boy, do we celebrate. And how could you not? How could you not? It is joyous when things are good. 
Um, you know, I, I, I thought we had some surprises. I was real happy to see Leo Rush show up on pay-per-view. I was shocked. He didn't even let me in. He kayfabed me, if you will. But I was really happy for our friend Mark Henry showing up there at AEW. Speaking of ear-to-ear, big smile on his face. And I could imagine why, but Mark Henry being announced as somebody that'll be a coach as well as one of the broadcasters uh, of AEW, uh, whatever their fr- Rampage, I guess, is the name of their secondary show that's coming. So that's amazing. Uh, but when you look at the talent on the show, like Britt Baker, obviously, everybody knows. Like I, I think what's going to get interesting in wrestling is when contracts start to open up is when superstars get back into a situation where they're able to make decisions. I wish, just as a fan, that wrestling contracts were between three and nine months long. Six months, six to nine months is a really sweet spot for contracts because the idea of people being able to go back and forth, the idea of, of stuff being in the air is really, really good. It's really compelling. For wrestling fans, I get as a business person why you would want to keep talent that makes you money locked down. I would if I were running a promotion. I'd be trying to sign people for 20 years. But as a fan, the movement is so much fun. And I look at at, at talent that is going to be commanding a lot of money in the future. Over the last year, year and a half, Britt Baker has done what only a handful of women have done. And that's become one of the key players in a global wrestling promotion, in a big nationally televised in America wrestling promotion. Britt Baker is one of the big stars. And I think she'll continue to be one of the big stars, no matter where she is. I, I, I'm sure she's locked into AEW for a while, but the idea of, of having a Britt Baker in NXT or in WWE, to me, that's amazing. Sammy Guevara is another one. And I've been a fan of Sammy's for a long time. Anybody that's heard me talk about Sammy from the, I mean, for, from the beginning, I was like, okay, no, I get it with him. I would love to see him. If he were in NXT, I'd want him to be, he'd be my favorite wrestler of all time. He'd be amazing. He is so good. And I love, I love the little nuances going on with him too, with this storyline that he's in in AEW. The idea that like, and I think that it's all going to come out eventually. The idea that the whole tension Chris Jericho, MJF, the formation of the pinnacle off of the inner circle started because of what Sammy Guevara was doing inside the inner circle. He was the linchpin that started this whole thing. When he returned, he was the one that exposed it. In the blood and guts match, he's the one that surrendered for the team to save Jericho. He's the one that lost that match for the team. In the football frenzy, whatever stadium stampede match that happened to double or nothing, he's the one that got the pinfall. 
it's not just that Sammy Guevara is like super over, quote unquote, and he's just getting all these spots. There's a serious story being told here that is revolving all around Sammy that I'm looking forward to seeing to get unwrapped. But I, I think Sammy is one of those guys that once his contract that he's under is up right now, he's just like Britt Baker. He's going to be able to go wherever he wants, anywhere in the world, and he's going to be able to command top dollar. And when you talk about talent, man, somebody that, like, I know I've always found entertaining, but even I didn't necessarily see what it would look like on a big stage. I didn't see the mainstream appeal for it that I have in the last year or so and that I certainly do today. If I'm starting a promotion today, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy is one of those guys. I watched the pay-per-view with uh, a buddy of mine that I've known since high school, I think, if not before. But I, 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 was, I was best friends with in high school. We were both big wrestling fans in high school. And I mean real wrestling fans. Like, I don't need to prove myself in terms of being a real wrestling fan. But this was a guy who in the Attitude Era, he wasn't about Stone Cold or The Rock. His favorite wrestlers were The Big Boss Man and Hardcore Holly. And I don't mean that it was just because he got a kick out of him. I mean, I literally would go to his house and his room was decorated with posters of three individuals. The Big Boss Man, Hardcore Holly, and Godzilla. Those were the three individuals that he prayed to at an altar. But I say that to say, if your favorite wrestlers in the Attitude Era are Hardcore Holly and the Big Boss Man, you are in it. But, like some people do, this gentleman, uh, life got in the way of being obsessed with wrestling. I never allowed it to happen, but not everybody has the same luxuries that I do. And he kind of fell off. He, hadn't, he doesn't really keep up with the day-to-day -day of WWE, of Impact, of AEW, of New Japan. He doesn't know what's going on. He didn't even know anything about Kenny Omega. He didn't know anything about anything. But he's watching this pay-per-view and, you know, criticizing a lot of people just because, you know, he's a cranky guy in his mid-30s. And he goes, what's this guy? What's he, like, acting like he doesn't care about anything? I'm like, that. just watch him. That's Orange Cassidy. And I swear, the story that Orange Cassidy told throughout the match, it turned him. I was like, no, 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 watch. And when Orange Cassidy is avoiding that full Nelson and getting his hands in his pockets and then flipping to the outside and then hitting him and then rolling back in the ring, I'm like, dude, Orange Cassidy, believe it or not, is a guy that you build a promotion around. Orange Cassidy, you either get him or you don't. And if you don't get him, then give it a chance and you will. There is something about Orange Cassidy that speaks to people now. You do, you do not have to be a wrestling fan. If you are not a wrestling fan, there's just something about Orange Cassidy that you get. I don't know if if being lackadaisical is more in style than it ever was before. There was always lackadaisical, though. I mean, to an extent, that was Rob Van Dam, right? Whatever, bro. 
But Rob Van Dam also was always, pardon the pun, very high on himself. Rob Van Dam thought very, very well of himself. Like for Rob Van Dam, it was like he wasn't stressed, but he wasn't on another planet somewhere. Like you could read him. He'd just go like, no, man, no worries. I'm Rob Van Dam. When you're RVD, what have you got to worry about? And that was this other level of ego that I don't even think anybody's been able to replicate since Rob Van Dam. He's a very, very special character that I think people still have trouble wrapping their heads around. To me, Orange Cassidy is the same way. If anything, he's proven how his act plays out in a main event. And I mean, I'm telling you right now, that superstar is a world champion when I see him. And, and, and that's a person who I think that at some point, whenever he has to make a decision of what his next step is, which again, probably won't be for a while, he's going to have a big decision to make because I think the world is going to be his oyster. I just, you know, I came on here after the last pay-per-view I came on here and spent about, I don't know, probably 30 minutes talking about how disappointed I was that the bomb didn't go off. Well, guess what? I feel the opposite today. I feel the exact opposite. And I will tell you that I do. I mean, especially in those last two matches, but the whole show tonight, it was just really fun. And and it was really fun to have that show as well in in front of a, a packed out venue. Just a good evening. A good evening of professional wrestling. Hats off to absolutely everybody involved. And I mean, look, MJF is on that list as well. When you talk about guys that the world is going to be at their, uh, at their fingertips when it comes time to decide what the next step is, MJF is there. Like, tonight... I don't know what, where, where I'd list him in like my top performers or whatever, but tonight wasn't built around him either. Tonight was built around some other people. But I mean, I would put him on that list just for the fact that he had those rhinestone jeans on. He wore rhinestone jeans to a street fight. Oh, and the entrance propelling down the stadium. Jericho is a genius. Chris Jericho. Uh, I don't even, I, I think it'll be, it'll be years after he's gone, before we're really caught up to everything Chris Jericho was able to accomplish. If there has ever been a person who understands not the wrestling industry, the entertainment industry, if there's ever a person who just gets it, it's Jericho, man. He's a magician at what he's able to pull off. A magician. So cool. So cool. And, you know, it started, uh, AEW had a lot of people talking because on Friday, while SmackDown was on, and SmackDown was great, by the way, that opening tag with the Usos and the Street Profits going for like three segments or however long it went, I mean, you can't ask for a better tag team match than that. And then to, to come off of that, and have the announcement made. The Usos will face the Mysterios for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship next week. And again, I talk about the micro storytelling of SmackDown. 
That's what SmackDown is so good at. That's what SmackDown is better at than any other wrestling show on the planet. Micro storytelling. And it almost always centers around Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman had a great tweet this week. It was to Variety uh, or one of the, I don't know, some writer. And uh, I don't know. He said something about something on SmackDown or something. It doesn't really matter. He said something about Roman Reigns. and uh, Or maybe he didn't. He just said something about something. And Paul Heyman responded to him, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that he should be paying attention to the greatest character study on television today, and that's Roman Reigns every Friday night on SmackDown. And it's 100% true. When you talk about television characters being built and stories being flushed out on television, there is nothing like the Roman Reigns story. Not in wrestling, not anywhere. We are, as of today, when the day this podcast is published, it's May 31st. We're about to hit June. It's probably June by the time you're actually listening to this. We're 10 months in. There is no way you can tell me that this Roman Reigns story is going to get boring by SummerSlam because it won't. It's not even close. It's not even a thought that the Roman Reigns thing could get boring. Not even a thought. Especially with some of the rumors that are flying around about who Roman Reigns may be facing at SummerSlam and whether or not we can see them. I don't know if it's true, but it's the rumors that I've heard on the intranet. But assuming that the Roman Reigns story stays as compelling as it is now all the way until SummerSlam, you're talking about a full year. No off time. 52 episodes of weekly television and then 12 pay-per-views. 64 separate television shows. All telling the exact same story of one character. All adding to each other and adding to each other, building off each other, building off each other. There is nothing in television like that that maintains its ability to stay compelling is incredible, incredible. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. But okay, so so the micro storytelling this week on SmackDown was the fact that uh, Jey Uso was excited about tagging with Jimmy, but he also wasn't sure if he should because Roman didn't really like it and he didn't know if he should please Roman or please Jimmy or please himself. So good, so good. But I say all that to say that while that was happening, uh, AEW had been preempted. So their go-home show to the pay-per-view over the weekend was actually Friday and it aired after SmackDown. There's rumors floating around, and I'll get to them in a second, that the WWE may be trying to strike a deal with New Japan, that New Japan Pro Wrestling and WWE may come to some kind of partnership, and that this deal is being spearheaded by WWE President Nick Khan. Right around 8 o'clock or whatever time it was on Friday night, 
AEW drops a promo with Tony Schiavone and Tony Khan. And Tony Khan just cuts a promo on WWE and on Nick Khan about the relationship that he already has with New Japan. And so the WWE is not going to have one. And it's like this insane promo. Tony Khan is a wild person. But the point isn't even the promo. Because the promo is like, it's utterly ridiculous. First of all, anybody that doesn't like companies taking shots at each other, I don't know what you're watching for. It's the greatest thing ever. When Triple H went to the Hall of Fame and he was like, we could buy that piss ant company and was talking two sweets and was trashing the Young Bucks. I was like, greatest thing ever. When they're taking shots at AEW, I love it. When AEW is taking shots at WWE, I love it. It's all great. When, when they're going on a conference call and being like, yeah, that's some goofy blood and guts promotion. I'm like, ooh, burned. And then AEW's over here going like, well, we're going to name our match Blood and Guts. I'm like, oh, what are you going to do now? Like, I'm just like that guy in the lunchroom going, oh, ooh, oh, oh. I'm a shit stirrer from day one. From day one. I'm never going to pretend to be something else. You're never going to catch me saying like this. Mm, I don't like tension. Oh, I don't like, ar- I don't like seeing other people argue. I love seeing other people argue. Love. I think competition is good. I think it brings out the best in people. And I think it eventually brings out the truth. I think when people fight for what they believe in and they fight each other for it, if they do it long enough, the truth comes out. Now, so, you know, I'm pro people taking shots at each other. I don't even take it seriously, right? Like, I don't take it seriously when people take shots at me. You know, I, I, I even on Twitter, like when I tweet, I don't take any of that stuff seriously. One of the guys from Fightful was like shitting on something I was saying in like the uh, Booker T documentary. I'll DM him the next day about something else. I don't care. Like, I, I, I you know, I'll go back and forth with him about it. I don't care about any of this stuff. It's fun. It's fun to go back and forth. But so, uh, so... Tony Khan drops this promo and I wasn't even so I didn't even care about what he was saying in the promo. I just thought it was such a genius move because what it did was it got the internet talking. All of a sudden, Friday night between eight, nine o'clock at night, Tony Khan becomes a trending topic on Twitter because he cuts this like crazy promo. Why is that a good thing? Because AEW is preempted and is on at 10 o'clock at night on Friday. If nothing else, it reminded, because the wrestling community was talking about it. Wrestling Twitter was talking about it. I'm not saying this is the thing that's going to cut through and strike a chord with the mainstream. What I'm saying is, it reminded wrestling fans, AEW's on tonight. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That is on tonight. I'll watch that after SmackDown. That to me is all that was. Utilizing the internet to remind your audience that you're going to be on at 10 o'clock because there's a lot of casual fans that don't, that would not have turned on TNT after SmackDown for no reason other than, oh, I didn't even remember that was on. Why would I? It's not part of my weekly schedule. I'm sure there are NXT fans that are still 
not remembering to turn USA on on Tuesday nights because it's not part of their weekly schedule. I'll bet there are NXT fans that don't turn on AEW on Wednesday night because they never watched AEW because they were watching NXT and maybe they would turn on TNT, but they don't because they never did. It's tough to get people's schedules worked out like that. So the fact that that dropped when it did, genius. Genius because it reminded wrestling fans to turn the channel. And that's that's what I thought the whole reason for it existing was. The timing, come on, it's too perfect. It had nothing to do with New Japan. It had nothing to do with any articles. It had nothing to do with any rumors. All it was was, hey, internet, I got to get you talking about me so you can remind people to watch my television show uh, after the television show that you're watching right now. Boom. You don't even get it. You don't even, you're not trying to convince people to change the channel. It's just, hey, watch this. And then after, watch my show too. It made me want to figure out who I got to cut a promo on to remind people to turn my show on on YouTube because I go on on YouTube live every Friday about 10, 15 p.m. Eastern. It's not a wrestling show, so I don't think I can like cut promos on any wrestling promoters, but I don't know. There's got to be somebody I can cut a promo on that'll make people go, oh, yeah. Let me turn Sam on. I'll tell you what does turn me on, the idea of New Japan and WWE working together. Uh, people are skeptical of it, of course. You know, that 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 is the rumor that came out. People are skeptical of it because, you know, uh, notoriously, well, well they, they think, and I don't even, you know, like WWE has shared talent before. And people... I felt like kind of got into the weeds on this one uh, about booking and stuff like that. You know, the idea that WWE and New Japan would work together, they go, well, it would never work because WWE would never let their guys lose. And you're like, that's like step 15, bro. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'll tell you why this is different. I'll tell you why if ever there was a time that WWE might actually be able to pull off a partnership with New Japan and vice versa, it's now. It's for a couple reasons. Number one, you know, I think New Japan is not exactly the New Japan that they were three year, three or four years ago, maybe more than that. Three to five years ago. They're still great, but they're not, you know, they've lost a lot of, 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 of key talent. You know, they still got plenty of people. They still got Tanahashi and Okada and Naito and like, yeah, there's still plenty of people there. There's still enough people there to make this a compelling offer. But five years ago or more, it was like New Japan was was in contention to be the promotion in the world in terms of just being a wrestling fan. I don't know about the business. Um, so New Japan's at a space where I think this would benefit New Japan more now than it would have before. It would have still benefited them before, but now even more. I think from the WWE perspective, you cannot understate the Nick Khan factor. Nick Khan is the new president of WWE. I don't know the guy. I know that he comes from, uh, I believe, CAA, Creative Artists Agency, I believe. And I believe that he specializes in making big, giant sports deals. And he's already made some big, giant sports deals within the WWE. He's the one that made the deal with Peacock. He's made some big, giant TV deals. 
for WWE. And he's mixing things up a lot with the personnel. We're hearing all kinds of stuff about departments being shifted and, and layoffs happening behind the scenes. Uh, 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 all kinds of uh, mix-ups happening. I don't mean mix-ups like confusion. I mean like uh, shake-ups happening in the broadcast uh, department when it comes to WWE. And we talked about that, the Adnan Verk, Jimmy Smith, all that stuff we talked about on the uh, Thursday, Not Sam Thursday podcast, the secondary Not Sam Wrestling podcast that we drop every single week at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. But Nick Khan is being given the opportunity to do a lot and to change a lot. And there's a trust in Nick, I think, because of his pedigree. And his pedigree is different from Triple H's pedigree. Nick Khan's pedigree is more of a a, a business pedigree and, and dealings and stuff like that. Triple H's pedigree, that's a finishing move. Triple H's pedigree is one where he hooks both arms and then uses his knees to drop you on your face. Two different pedigrees. Both very important, both very effective. I'm kidding, of course. But, you know, I think the booking is something that you'll figure out. You know, I, I do I think that Roman Reigns is going to go to Japan and lose? No. Do I think John Cena is going to go to Japan and lose? I mean, probably not, but that's actually at this point more likely. Do I think Drew McIntyre is going to go to Japan and lose? Maybe. He loses in America. He might. Do I think Seth Rollins is going to go to Japan and lose? Maybe. Would it hurt anything? Probably not. You got guys like Cesaro, Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, even Bobby Lashley, who Finn Balor who I think would love the opportunity to not only go to Japan, but to have some of the talent from New Japan come to the WWE and have these these matches with them. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Daniel Bryan brought up the idea. I mean, he, again, Daniel Bryan is one of these chess players like Jericho. Daniel Bryan is a genius level player, okay? Daniel Bryan probably knew these conversations were happening already with New Japan and Nick Khan. So when Daniel Bryan publicly says, I want to be able to wrestle in other places, and then a month later, news drops that there is discussions of a partnership between WWE and New Japan, you don't think Bryan is at the center of this? You don't think Bryan is either pushing WWE in a direction or at the very least setting himself up to be in a position to say, oh, well, if you guys are working with New Japan, I can come back. Why don't I go over there for a while? Come on. I was born at night, but not last night. I think it's really exciting. I think there's a lot of potential here, and I, I, I really hope it goes down. I really, really do. Um, it is going to be going down, by the way, in August. SummerSlam has been announced. The location, I believe, is going to be announced next weekend, I want to say, at the Preakness. So all you uh, Not Sam Wrestling fans that regularly watch the Preakness, you will find out the uh, location of SummerSlam first. Um, there are a couple of rumored locations. Seems like it's going to be a stadium show. Definitely going to be on a Saturday night, which is interesting. Um, but 
There's a, a pretty heavy rumor that Cardi B is going to be hosting it. And look, after the Bad Bunny debacle, I don't see how that could go well. <laughs> I mean, Bad Bunny changed the world for celebrity uh, uh, wrestling involvement. Cardi B has a lot to live up to because Bad Bunny was so freaking good. But Cardi B has been public about being a wrestling fan too. So we'll see what level she's working at. But Bad Bunny, I'm sure you saw the meme, was everywhere. He was on the uh, LeBron HBO show, The Barbershop, sitting there. It was everybody. A lot of people are now pretending that they didn't say Bad Bunny was not a very big star. A lot of people are sitting there today pretending that they didn't say, I don't think that people are even going to know who Bad Bunny is. They should be eating crow or at least their own hats. They were made to look like the idiots that they are by the way this whole thing played out. Not only by the fact that he got one of the biggest in arena pops across two nights of WrestleMania. Not only because his tour sold out in like two hours, but because he's now sitting in a barbershop. When you go to a barbershop, who's in there? Couple of locals? Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. When you, the dude who said, I don't think anybody's heard of Bad Bunny. When you go to a barbershop, nobody gives a hoot. No, I, I, everybody could, couldn't possibly care less. However, when Bad Bunny goes to a barbershop, they send a cameraman and they put it on HBO. That's where Bad Bunny's at. And you know who else is sitting there in the barbershop with him? Jay-Z and LeBron James. Same barbershop on HBO. And he's sitting there flat out. God bless Bad Bunny. Sitting there saying wrestling is real. Triple H and The Undertaker are the shit. And then he moved to Orlando so that he could take bumps. I mean, how do you not just spend your time praising Bad Bunny for everything that he did and continues to do for wrestling? So I hope Cardi B is that level of ambassador. I mean, I don't know if she's going to have a match with The Miz at WrestleMania. That's a pretty high level of ambassador. But I just mean, you know, that goes in embraces the WWE the way Bad Bunny embraced WWE and and keeps it moving because it could be really, really good. Speaking of celebrities that embrace WWE and professional wrestling in general, Cruella, the Disney movie Cruella, it's the origin story of the lady that wanted to kill all those Dalmatians, 101 of them. Cruella came out in uh, movie theaters over the weekend. I believe it's also available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, in you know what that that special section of new releases, Paul Walter Hauser is one of the stars of this movie. You may know Paul Walter Hauser. He first came to my attention by playing Jeff Galuli's bodyguard in *I Tanya*. He was magnificent, hilarious. He's in uh, *Cobra Kai*. He played uh, Richard Jewell in the Clint Eastwood movie *Richard Jewell*. He's been in two Spike Lee, the last two Spike Lee movies. He was in Black Klansman, which was phenomenal. He was into Five Bloods, phenomenal. Netflix, you can watch it. He's in everything, dude. Paul Walter Hauser is in half of my favorite things that have come out 
in the last few years. It's amazing how much he's done. And what's even more amazing, and I was so happy to find this out, is that he's a wrestling fan. And not just a sort of wrestling fan, a legit for real wrestling fan. I have He's been on a WWE show backstage. I've seen him hanging out at AEW Dynamite. In this interview, he name drops uh, Damian Sandow as one of his buds. Look, if you're friends with Damian Sandow, you're okay with me. The intellectual savior of the masses? Come on. Come on. Paul Walter Hauser is the real deal. It's a terrifically talented actor. Mainstream celebrity at this point, And a huge wrestling fan. And so today, and this video, by the way, uh, most of the videos from the show end up at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. That's our Not Sam Wrestling official YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed to it. Uh, we put out a big supercut. It's like almost an hour and a half long. And it's all six interviews from last week's podcast, all in one video. It's really, really great. There's a quick like three-minute sizzle reel that I put on my Twitter and Instagram page if you want to check that out. But this video uh, will be on the Not Sam YouTube page later this week uh, because I'm also using this interview as a an In the Not Sam studio show. Just because we touch on a lot, man. We touch on a lot of wrestling, and you can see the way he turns to wrestling in conversations that this is something he likes to talk about all the time. I feel like Paul Walter Hauser is a guy that I could spend hours, hours talking to about wrestling. So we'll spend some minutes, minutes with him talking about wrestling, film, life. Here he is, Paul Walter Hauser. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. I've wanted to talk to this guy for a while because, uh, I don't know, man, I feel like, so I'll tell you, Paul Walter Hauser is here, first of all, and I want to tell you that before I even knew that you were like a huge wrestling guy, like, and I could already tell, like, usually when there's people who are in entertainment that are quote unquote wrestling fans, I usually throw a couple questions in just to see like, what level are we really talking? But like based on your tweets and the shows that you've shown up on and everything, like, I don't even need to test it. Like, clearly, <laughs> you're the real deal. But I got to tell you, dude, I became a fan after I, Tanya. I had no idea anything about you being a wrestling fan. I didn't know anything about you as, as, as a human being. I was just blown away by how hilarious you were in that movie. Thanks. That movie was, um, that was kind of a big moment for me just because, you know, I was booking roles. It wasn't like I never worked. I just wasn't working on things that were kind of lauded or praised in the, in the, in the media or the public. Um, I did this show kingdom and th this show about MMA, I was kind of like the one out of shape person in the whole show. It was like Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas and all these guys. But, uh, but, you know, that was like the start for me to like actually make a little bit of money and quit my day job. But wow. I was the, the one that propelled me to where it helped me kind of get in all the rooms and kind of get seen by the town. And uh, as an actor, you really you really know the rungs when you're climbing, you know, uh, when you stop borrowing money from family and random friends. <laughs> like that's a big moment. Right. And then uh, when you start buying everybody else's coffee and pizza and stuff that's a big moment 
And then I, Tanya was like, holy crap, I'm in a movie that like got three Oscar nominations. That was, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, what's, what's crazy is like, when you think about it, so, so the show that you were on, so I guess Kingdom is the gig that makes it so you can quit your day job. How long before that was I, Tanya? Oh man, I quit my day job. I was working at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, California. I was a door guy. Uh -huh. And then I would also get up and do stand up on some of their showcases. And, uh, and I was working there till the first week in March, maybe of 2015. And then I, Tanya, we were shooting that. We wrapped I, Tanya two years to that week, like early March of 2017. Wow. See, like that, stories like that are crazy to me. Because now it's like, I feel like a lot of people watch you, right? And they just see you're in I, Tanya, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy from, and then Black Klansman, and then The Five Bloods, and, like, Richard Jewell obviously was huge. And then you're in Cruella, and people are like, yeah, well, of course Paul Walter Hauser would be in a Disney movie. He's that level of a guy. But to you, five or six years ago, you had a day job. And now you're, like, in there with Spike Lee and Clint Eastwood and Disney and, like... You're at the table, I'll, dude. I'll put a finer point on it, too. Um, I <clears throat> vividly remember borrowing 10 grand from my parents' retirement fund January of 2018. Because mind you, I had already shot and released Itania, and I had already shot Black Klansman. But I only made like eight or nine grand off Black Klansman. Like I was a local hire in New York. I flew myself out put myself up in an Airbnb, like in LA, you know, rents like two grand a month plus everything else. So it's like, I, I barely made any money on those movies. The real currency was that I did a good job in movies that people cared about. Yeah. And that was, you know, propelling me, but like, dude, yeah, I had to, my parents have like no money. Like I borrowed money from my parents who have no money uh, like a little over three years ago, January, 2018. And then I remember I got to pay them back that summer. And that was like, okay, I think my head is above water. I think I can maintain this, but you never know when your next job is, you know, that's the scary, weird thing. And that's bringing it back to wrestling, which we both love. Yeah. I feel bad for these guys and gals who wrestle. And it's like, some of them are brilliantly talented, but these rosters are very bloated and so even if they show up like an Eddie Kingston or a Ryan Nemeth, you know, they're not guaranteed a contract, uh, even if they're brilliant. So it's um, it's a tough place to live as an actor, too. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And I mean, like from a wrestling perspective, Eddie Kingston is a guy who I've known for years. Like he's been around for years just on the East Coast independence, just like shows and shows and shows. And like we were talking about Nick Gage right before we started recording, but there's still a lot of super talented people that work independence. And I mean, you talk about people getting affected by COVID and trying to figure things out, like independent shows did not exist for a year. And that's how these people are making their money. There is no fallback. There's no sort of like, okay, well, you're still employed here. It's like, if there's no show, there's no money. Right, yeah. If Nick was going to rob a bank, he probably should have done it in 2020, <laughs> yeah. one would have imagined, but but uh, but best laid plans, you know? Um, I think the thing about these indie guys who, you know, Kingston and, and, and Nick we're talking about now, but there's something special to that connection with the audience 
And that is some of what's missing presently. Now, the audiences aren't exactly the same as they were in the Attitude Era because you had more of a suspended disbelief with the audience. They were a little bit more giving. They weren't so withholding. The audiences have become a little more emotionally withdrawn and withholding. So you don't always get the same pop, even if you do the same great spot or moment. But I think what supersedes all that is when you get a guy like Eddie who can get on the mic and he starts talking about Bed-Stuy or wherever he's from, Red Hook, I forget. He starts talking and you believe everything he's saying. And he talks about his mother and he breaks up and starts crying. And it's like, dude, wrestling needs more of that. We don't need someone who can do 70 more flips through a flaming table. We've, that'll, we've already seen that. We need people that connect with an audience. And I think Eddie does it almost better than anybody right now. Yeah, man, I would agree. And the fact that he's actually, he's talking about like Yonkers, right? And it's like, it's not even bed style. Like you don't know anything about Yonkers, right? Like who's ever, I'm from Westchester. I'd We'd be like, yes. This is <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's, again, like there's a parallel to acting there, right? Like for you to pull off Richard Jewell, for example, where your face is going to be on the screen the entire time for the most part. And it's like, you know, you got Kathy Bates around. You got a lot of, you got Clint Eastwood. You got a lot of talented people, but ultimately it's all on your shoulders to pull this thing off. And I have to be able to watch that and not be like, oh yeah, that's, that's uh Paul Walter Hauser, the wrestling fan. That's, oh yeah, no, that's the guy I like from I, Tanya. It's like within a minute, within a minute of the movie starting, I got to forget you from everything else you've been in. And I think that that's the same way with pro wrestlers, right? Like I have to, I have to believe whether I know it's true or not. I have to believe that he's telling the truth. I mean, I like as an, as an adult man, as a man in my twenties, I was literally like doing commentary on independent shows and I was afraid of Nick Gage. I was like, that is a real life dude. I'm afraid of that guy. And I don't want to interview him because he's scaring me. Yeah, and I, I think I think you know, it's it, people forget that like some the, some of the greatest wrestlers are some of the greatest actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean they have the versatility of Phil Hoffman or Daniel Day. I'm just making the point that like Eddie Kingston is a very good actor. Like if you put him in a David Ayer movie where he's playing some dude on the street, like could run run away and get a Best Supporting Actor nomination, like. Some of these people are that good, but it's they're only going to get what they put into it. Yeah. So if you're layering it with a lot of specificity and nuance and your wallet chain has a purpose and your walk has a purpose and the hunch in your back has a purpose and you've actually practiced your promo to some degree and, and are going to do something with it, like, dude, that that's what made Cody Rhodes a bigger star now than before is we didn't believe him in WWE because we believed he was under the thumb of, of uh, some of the folks there. But now that he's like, I'm dusty Rhodes kid and I'm doing whatever the hell I want. We buy that. We love that. And that's what's propelled him. Yeah. I mean, I also think that all entertainment for me anyway, like what attracts me to all forms of entertainment, whether it's movies or TV or wrestling or whatever is storytelling. And like, really like good storytelling that I fall into. And you have to believe in the story that you're telling. Like, you know, in wrestling, Roman Reigns had a hell of a time over the last like five or six years. But man, you get him on screen and he's telling a story that you can tell he believes. And it's a different level. 
And I compare I compare Roman Reigns to Keanu Reeves, where Roman all Roman and Keanu always had the look. They were always compelling to watch. But Keanu Reeves became like a better actor as he kept acting. He got even better. And I think Roman, I give him a lot of credit. Like I would have wanted to quit at a lot of different intervals. And he really buried his head down, stuck to it. And now he's he's at that level. He's, he's one of those guys. And he's doing a tremendous, tremendous job. And by the way, he's doing it at a time it's kind of like Saturday Night Live when all the great cast members leave, you have to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not easy for a guy like Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins. They they don't have full creative control. They're working through a pandemic. They lost a couple of real players and mentors like Arn and Kurt Angle and whoever. Like, it's not an easy time to be wrestling. And and I even though I I'm a little more of a Jacksonville guy now, mm-hmm. I, I give so much props and love to the guys and gals who bust their humps every week up in Connecticut. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about icons not being there. Like the fact that John Cena leaves a gap that has to be filled. Like you can't just jump in there. I mean, you can't even see the guy. That's the problem. That's the problem. You have no, how can you follow an act that you can't see? Hey, we need you to basically be uh, humorous and be able to rap and be attractive <laughs> And be able to do your finish on the big show. And also your camouflage. We can't see it. Can you do that? Can you, yeah, can you do that? Because really that's what the role requires. That's the what we're looking for. Ass. Yeah. The big ass. I, I want to get back to, we were talking about something interesting too, which I just want to hear your opinion on, which is, do you think there needs to be more of a push for the younger unknowns who get thrust in the spotlight? Meaning in the NFL, Mm-hmm. There can be a guy who leaves college and he's starting on like one of the 10 greatest teams in the league overnight. You're just, you're the quarterback of the, of the saints or whatever. Right. I think in wrestling, it would behoove them to maybe do that more often because then we're rooting for the underdog and the unknown rather than, Hey, we're going to have you do a million squash matches. So the audience thinks you suck. Then you'll get over, <laughs> but it'll kind of feel like an accident yeah, And then once you're over, we're still going to put you through the ringer to where you'll basically be begging for like a European title. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that really goes against the grain of, of making a superstar blow up. Um, I think the overnightness is important. And, and we saw that in the acting world with like Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. It felt like he kind of did one or two movies and then just bam, this is the new James Dean or DiCaprio. You know, I think it all travels and I'm wondering how does it track with you when you see people get buried versus I think the opposite is a Darby Allen where you go, we're strapping a rocket to you. The rocket isn't going to make you explode, but you're definitely going to be in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think like, for instance, if I were running things by SummerSlam, Matt Riddle would be the champion. You know, I mean, I just think that there's a guy that can literally do everything. And I do think, like, I was watching, I think it was the documentary they did on Big E. It was one of them. And it was kind of that story of, like, you know, Big E proving himself in, like, the eight or nine or ten years or however long it took him to finally get to a place where he's in contention for a singles title and now he's finally ready. And I was like, I mean, it's a great story. But then I was like, you know what? There are way too many stories 
of guys that had to spend 10 years. Like, it's all the same. Every guy that wins, it's like, I've been here for 10 years and I finally am getting this opportunity. And I'm like, that should be, that should be a segment. Like, it should be some people that's just their story and that's just how it happens. But you should be able, and maybe you don't make them a superstar right away, but the idea that somebody just comes in and has the opportunity to at least try to set the world on fire and that we actually go... I think so. Like, I think I think that there should be more stories of people who within their first year are becoming champion of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think when Sami Zayn fought John Cena on Monday Night Raw, I don't know, it might have been four years ago or something. Mm -hmm. That was a really wonderful moment because he held with John. He was incredible. I know he hurt his shoulder. I think he was literally like, I don't even think it was a move. I think he was doing his thing at the beginning with the ska and he's like, come on. Ah! <laughs> yeah. and like totally screwed himself over. But I think, you know, if you notice that the fans get behind somebody, like that's when you should pull out the rockets. That's when you should, you know, we're trying to communicate to you that we're going to buy the Slurpee cup if you put his face on it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that gets lost in, in creative or lost in tra translation a little bit. And and I think it film does it really well where like, if somebody kills it, like I, I Richard Jewell's a good example where like, I, I don't think Warner brothers was like, we need Paul Hauser to star in our movie. They, no one ever said that even <laughs> after they saw it. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think Clint saw, I think Clint saw I, Tanya black Klansman. And I think I was told he watched some of my scenes from kingdom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's a composite. He probably saw 18, 20 minutes of footage of me talking. You yeah. Know, that's, that's, and then was like, we're going to put a rocket on you. And I, I'm eternally grateful for the folks who have done that for me, who have believed in me and, and allowed me to to get into orbit a little bit. And uh, and yeah, I'm just trying not to blow myself up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what do you do? You have to at, like at a point, do you just have to have faith that, look, all I can do is go out there and do the best work that I can do. I'm going to do work that I'm proud of, and hopefully a Clint Eastwood will see it. Because I think there's like some people obsess over, well, I got to get the perfect reel together, and then I got to make sure that Spike Lee or Clint Eastwood or Disney or whoever it is watches it, and I don't know that you have control over that. Dude, you're, you're hitting on such a big thing right now. Uh, it's, it's not about us solving the problem by doing you solve the problem by being right. Um, you know, there's, there's a famous uh, minister preacher named TD Jakes uh, who I like a lot. And, um, and he said one time, he said, you are not a problem looking for an answer. You are an answer looking for a problem. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. You know, it's not that it's not that Sam Roberts should be so lucky WWE uses him for broadcasting. No, 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 no. Let's call it what it is. They need a really great broadcaster who knows a lot about wrestling and is likable. You happen to be a really great broadcaster who is likable and knows a lot about wrestling. So I think my, my advice to young people, whether you're a wrestler, a musician, an actor, it's like do the work, even if the work is an acoustic set in front of eight people, and be really great because one of those eight people – might know the guy who owns such and such record label and your whole life changes because you killed it in front of no one and you paid for parking 
and weren't given a drink voucher. You know, like you <laughs> right? Have to, you have to eat the humble shit. Right. Can I swear? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what this with the format, um, but I you got to eat your you got to eat your shit, man. Yeah. Uh, you got to get used to picking shit out of your teeth, and then one day you realize somebody put a rocket on your back. Well, that's also the difference of like what you're what you're doing it for, right? Like what your motivation is. Are you trying to get famous? Like for you in acting, like you could be trying to get famous or you could be trying to be a good actor. And I think that that's, that's two completely separate things. Cause like when I look at your career that you've assembled in the last few years, like maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe you just got lucky. Maybe you're super blessed, but I'm like, it seems like most of what he does is really cool shit with really cool people telling cool stories, right? Like when I'm going through, I'm like in a very short period of time, right? I like Cobra Kai. I like everything Spike Lee does. I loved I, Tanya. Uh, Clint Eastwood is a legend. And you're like sitting there going like, he just keeps popping up over all this stuff. And I got to believe that that is not a quest for fame. That is more a quest for cool shit to do, right? Yeah, I mean, thank you for saying that. I think... I think I'm just trying to do stuff that I would actually want to see as a consumer of media. So, yes. You know, I'm not, so many of us are not one thing. It's very frustrating to me how we over, we overly categorize everybody and we just assume that they all like one thing. You know, a lot of the reviews for Cruella have been saying things like, who is this movie for adults or children? It's like both you dummy. Like, <laughs> yeah, It's for whoever likes it. <laughs> Don't you remember Home Alone? Like Home Alone, a little kid almost murders two grown men rather than simply calling the police. Yeah, he like, literally tortures them. Little movie, and we <laughs> yeah. all loved it. Like, yeah. Why, why do we have to categorize? So when I pick a role or I pick an endeavor, I'm uh, searching something out. I'll give you a great example, and I this is kind of inside baseball, but mm. who cares? Yeah, I like it. Um, uh, Barry Levinson, who I love, mm-hmm. Diner, Rain Man, Wag the Dog. I mean, amazing. He's doing a movie about the making of The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I don't, I don't know if there's a part for me in that movie. They're not even passing around the screenplay. But I love that filmmaker. I love that story. He's got Hall and Oscar Isaac attached. And I know for a fact that Mario Puzo, the writer of The Godfather... He, he was a heavier set, like older Italian guy. He was like 40 or something when he, when they made that movie. So I'm immediately in my head, like, well, that's a movie I'm going to go see opening weekend, dope actors, dope filmmaker. And I'm one of a few heavy set guys who are doing comedy and drama and stuff. So maybe, maybe I'll pursue that. So it's not like, I don't even know if Barry Levinson knows who I am. It doesn't matter. I'm going to pursue stuff I like. So, you know, Cobra Kai that was not a hit when I signed on. That right. was on YouTube and they didn't have as much money or visibility, but I loved it and was like, I don't care. I'm going to do this no matter what, because I know it's dope. Right. And it's cut to a couple years later, it's on Netflix and it's the only thing I'm being recognized for. Like no one's coming <laughs> up like, dude, I loved you as that racist piece of crap in Black Klansman. Nobody's <laughs> saying that. They're all coming up and saying Stingray. So you know, happy accidents too. You got to go with your nose and sniff out the good stuff and it'll pay dividends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the wrestling world, it's like, I'll be sitting there sometimes and regardless of what I'm doing on any given day, 
when I'm sitting there before like an NXT takeover and I'm just watching Triple H orchestrate, I'm gonna get like just the fact that I get to sit in this room and watch this man orchestrate is like this is it. This is this is it. Well, and you're learning. You're yeah. Being educated by listening to to Paul and and his you know decades long crazy resume. You know, you're listening to him, but it's also entertaining because you're like, I am living in a dream world. Yes. I'm walking behind past Gorilla and talking to, you know, Gerald Briscoe and <laughs> Triple H. And, you know, it's wild, man. You got it. You got to hopefully it hasn't worn off for you. Not even a little. For me, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Do you ever do you get any sort of imposter syndrome or anything like that? Like, are you good at. I mean, go back to Richard Jewell, Clint Eastwood. He's like, yep, you're the guy. I want you to be the star of my movie. Are you good at wrapping your head back to that sort of answer to the problem thing? Like, can you sit there and go, you know what? I know that I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good actor. And if Clint Eastwood saw something in me, he's probably right. Yeah, I think I, I'm some weird combination of just bottom of the barrel, bury your head, shut the lights off doubt and depression that's like half of me mm -hmm. and then the other half is like i know exactly when i'm good and i know when other people are good and it's not arrogant it's just it is what it is like when i you know you can say you're a good broadcaster it doesn't make you a bad person you're stating facts or you wouldn't have three or four jobs or you know like i think uh with Richard Jewell, I, I didn't even question it because I'm like, I look like the guy. The script is amazing. I got Clint Eastwood and I'm out of my mind. So if I just like play, play the crazy and just walk into the fire, I can do it. But there were mornings where I'd be in my car with my driver and the PA would knock on the window and I'd say, I just need a couple minutes. And I'd be blaring Kendrick Lamar or, or like Hillsong worship music and I'd be pounding my chest punching the dashboard and like slamming a Starbucks iced coffee because like for me it's like almost like this is I'm like an athlete this is my field I have to psych myself up and say today you're going to do a monologue and cry with Kathy Bates and make Clint Eastwood happy mm -hmm. that's terrifying so if I don't walk on a set like I'm the dude I'm never going to be able to pull it off and they're going to see and smell that you know yeah. Uh, so I'm constantly warring against imposter syndrome and fears and kind of having to pump myself up a bit. Uh, it's it's me waiting in gorilla. Yeah. Ready to spray my water bottle. You know, isn't it? Isn't that such a wild thing, though, to like literally do this thing that I'm assuming you've wanted to be an actor since you're a kid, like I'm right. forever. So to literally do the dream job with the people you could only dream to do that job with. You have to have have your mind doing backflips to try to trick yourself into being okay with the fact that you're about to go do this thing. Yeah, and and coming from a religious background, you know, there is some weird residual thing of feeling like uh, unnecessary guilt, where like, or you feel like you don't deserve the good things that are happening to you. But you know, that's that's religion. That's not faith. Faith would tell you you've been gifted this, you should be overjoyed and then you should share that joy with other people. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to change lanes a little bit mentally, emotionally, and just like hold on loosely to the career. And then 
be the joyful guy who lives out the gratitude because uh, nobody wants to see a talented person they like moping around like, oh, I feel like I'm never going to work again. It's like, no, idiot. You just did two Spike Lee movies and, you know, are working with Disney. Like, I'm pretty sure you're going to work. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Because it's true. Like, can you imagine when you're struggling watching somebody literally like living your dream going like, oh, man, you know, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. And it's like, shut up. Shut up. Yeah, like, I I would be annoyed by that person, but I've been that person. Yeah. And and you don't want to swing to the other end of the pendulum, which is, like, being overly entitled and expected. Uh, You know, recently, and I won't say what, but recently I had a project come to me, and I was all excited because I had all these great actors involved, and I was like, oh, wow, I might do this thing next. And then it kind of got rescinded out of nowhere and pulled away from me, and I was kind of, like, a little butthurt, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit like, well, I thought this thing was my thing, but that just goes to show I have to break that mentality of like, you can have confidence in your craft and who you are, but never let it go so bloviated to the degree that you're like, I deserve this thing. It's like, no, you don't. There's other people. Yeah. Fight for everything you have, do a great job, keep your head low and humble. And then at the end of the day, hope that it is an Itania or a Black Klansman. Um, that's, it's tough because once you start living well, it's like, it's tough to be eating at a fine dining restaurant and then all of a sudden find yourself in the alleyway looking through the dumpster. And that as an actor, that happens quite a bit. Have you at all? Because, I mean, acting is, is, is wrestling maybe a little different, but not really. Like to get to the highest levels, you kind of have to put your destiny in other people's hands, right? Like you do, you have to have to completely lose control, even when you get the movie. Like, regardless of how many talented people are around you, all you have control over is your part. You don't know what that movie's going to look like. You don't know if they're going to cut every scene. You can film every scene and all of a sudden you get cut. Like, you have no control over anything. As you kind of succeed more and succeed more, do you find yourself wanting to figure out ways to branch out and do things that you can control? Or have you gotten better about just letting go of things that you don't have control of? You, you just spoke more wisdom than, than some film schools you said <laughs> about being in control and not in control. It's like, like I'm buddies with Aaron Stevens, Sandow. Sure. Uh, Aaron is a fantastic comedic performer and he does things with such commitment every time out. I love that about him amongst other things. Uh, and you know, I, the reason I point him out is, you know, it's that chicken making chicken salad out of chicken shit thing. Um, you don't enter into stuff looking for chicken shit. You still look for the chicken salad and say, this is, I'm going to do this great project. Um, for Aaron Stevens, that was like, I'm going to be in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. I finally have a platform. Let's go. And then he crushed it, hit it out of the park, and they still didn't let him win because whatever. I won't get into that. But I say that to say... Best laid plans, at the same time, you can only control your own performance and know that you might not end up victorious, but you're always victorious if you do the work. I think Dolph Ziggler is a good wrestling example of that, where Dolph Ziggler, listen, he's not in the title contention for world champion, but he's been a world champion. He's held all the other titles. He's had classic matches and feuds. He's now like probably uh, 
sort of emeritus status, you know? He's one of, like, the guys who's been there the longest, like Keenan Thompson on SNL or something. Yeah. And he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, dude. Dolph Ziggler will Easy. for sure, without a question, without a doubt, is a future Hall of Famer. So I look at myself like that. Like, would I love to be Kenny Omega? Would I love to be Moose? Would I love to be one of the top guys? Of course. But I can't control that. I can only control, am I bumping? Am I, you know, am I connecting? Am I doing the promo? So, you know, I look at myself like Adam Page or Dolph Ziggler. I'm, I'm like right in the middle uh-huh. and I'm hopefully making the product better every time I'm involved. Yeah. But, and it's like with, with, with Sandow, for example, like the whole Mizdow run, regardless of whether it led to anything or how it ended or anything like that, like you can't take away the run. Like you can't take away the material. You can't take away what it was. That's going to live forever. And people are going to remember that forever in movies. If nothing happened after Richard Jewell, if it was literally the last thing you ever did, it still exists, right? Like nobody can take that thing away. If I, if I quit tomorrow, it would still be a crazy resume that everybody would be like, yeah, in five years he did blah, 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 blah. And that's cool. But I think, you know, my favorite actors are usually not the, you know, my favorite actors are not Will Smith and Tom Cruise, even though I, I enjoy them quite a bit. Um, my favorite actors are Peter Sarsgaard, Michael Shannon, Giovanni oh. Ribisi, Ben Foster. I like these weird guys who are just always freaking great. Did- and uh, that's all I want to be. If, if I win an Oscar, cool. If I get a $5 million paycheck someday, cool. But um, the only thing I can plan on is I'm, I'm going to put my heart and my brain and my my blood and my sweat into it. Yeah. I mean, Giovanni Ribisi, Boiler Room might be one of the most underrated movies of all time. I absolutely all I remember from Boiler Room is the cast was pretty great. Yeah. And uh, it had like Nikki Cat and Vin Diesel and mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. And Affleck has that moment where he gives that speech. And I just remember he said, ear to ear, baby. Ear to ear, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's I don't think I think that's like such. <laughs> You know, you could sell ear to ear with a box of beef jerky and and uh, tickets to NASCAR. <laughs> it really ear-to-ear, is, baby. Yeah, he's in that boardroom, and he's like, "They say money doesn't buy happiness." Well, look at the smile on my face, ear to ear, baby. And you're like, "I'm there, whatever, whatever you're selling, I'm buying." Yes, yes, whatever yeah. you need. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know if you ever saw. Did you see Michael Shannon played Elvis in the movie about Nixon and Elvis and Nixon? I did not see that. It's so good. Your dear close friend Kevin Spacey plays Nixon, right? That's right. That's I don't know if you. uh, Yeah. Okay. Never, never met the guy. I would hope not. I just just wanted to say that. (laughs) Awkward. I I do do a thing though, where like I'll I'll go on a Zoom and I'll change the name. You know how you can rename yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just put. Kevin Spacey or Louis C.K. <laughs> just to make people double take and just weird out when they see me pop on a Zoom. Yeah, just to see what people say. Because it's how are you going to handle this? This is how, what I've chosen to do. How are you going to handle this? <laughs> I literally, I'm working with Taryn Edgerton right now. Uh-huh. And I did a thing where I... Uh, Sam Rockwell gave us each other's numbers. Like, he connected us. We, we had both been cast in a project but hadn't met. Uh-huh. And he connected us. And so I... um. I knew that he had given me Taryn's number, but Taryn didn't know my number. Mm-hmm. I had his number. So I texted him and I just put from this number he doesn't know, I put, 
congrats, man. Everything's looking great. Can't believe we got uh, Kevin Spacey to play the <laughs> detective and Louis C.K. to play her father. The cast is really shaping up. And like an emoji. And he thought it was from like a producer or something from the show. And he flipped out for a minute thinking we had cast him. And then, uh, and then he's like, this is a joke, mate. And then I told him, I was like, no, it's Paul Hazard. <laughs> just, so just panicking. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> Nothing funnier than making someone, someone who's about to work really hard on a project be like, hey, everybody who's been canceled in the last three years is basically our supporting cast. <laughs> yeah. We're just bringing all the cancel people back. And I'm really glad you could be here to help us do that. <laughs> Oscar the Grouch just got busted for some embezzling scheme. We're going to have him in it. Yeah. 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 We're going to bring in, we're going to bring in Mr. Potato Head with the emphasis on Mr. Though it's got emphasis on Mr. I tell you what, the mustache, he is, a, that is a male potato. Um, <laughs> No, I, I really, I've been blessed too. You got to remember just like Triple H, you know, being a part of DX helped solidify him. Yeah. But he didn't do the work, but like that being paired with Sean, mm -hmm. that, that was a big moment. And for me, look at the people I've gotten to be paired with. Like, uh, I can't take all the credit. I've gotten to work opposite Sam Rockwell and yeah. Stone and uh, Margot Robbie and, Matt Laurie and Jonathan Tucker. Like I've, I've really worked with a lot of great thespians and I think it makes me better and it makes me look good if I can hang with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if you see somebody who can, I rewatched the last dance recently, mm -hmm. uh, which is just absolute candy and popcorn. That thing is just the yummiest thing to watch ever. Yeah. But uh, it is funny when, when another player can keep up with somebody else like like Michael Jordan, like who actually kept up with him? Not a lot of people. Gary Payton, maybe there were like three or four people. But I'm always fighting to. I'm dying for that moment where someone will put me up against a Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, Michael B. Jordan, even, <laughs> and, uh, and just say, hey, we need you to guard him. That's kind of my dream. Is I want to be able to guard and keep up with with all the top guys. So I don't know when those phone calls will happen, if ever. But I'm I'm getting ready for it. I'm getting ready for the DiCaprio day. I'm getting ready for the the Jake Gyllenhaal day. I, I really want to have those moments. That's awesome. How are you with uh, uh, separating stuff that you like as a hobby, like wrestling or anything else, from work? I feel like sometimes you know when you start to realize that these things that you love and have dreamed of from the time you were a kid that you actually can sort of craft this living around doing the things that you love. You sometimes open Pandora's box, right? And you start going like, okay, there is no separation anymore. Are you a guy who likes to separate? Like, no, 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 no. This isn't work. This is just what I'd like to do for fun. Or do you open the world up and say, it's all just one thing? It's kind of all just like one thing. Like, yeah. I really, I really, you know, it's like Anthony Bourdain where you look at how he made a living. And it's like, it was just a combination of all the things he was passionate about. So for me, I'm always trying to do that, whatever that looks like. You know, I hope to direct my first feature in the next year. That will be part of that. Um, I, I would love to do, I would love to eventually do a Bad Bunny and Stephen Amell did where I'd love to get in the ring, but I'd love to do it the right way and, and not make it a joke. Uh, I would like to, yeah. you know, pay the price and do the work. 
But that's what uh, I, I was going to ask that, like, I mean, because there are so many things coming from the place that you come from, like Freddie Prince Jr., for example, who came from show business and ended up, you know, not only writing, but teaching acting to a lot of the guys and, and you know, kind of working on that end. So you, 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 though, would rather try the performer part of it than the sort of creative writing stuff. I would, I would love to do both, but it would just be in a, it would have to be in a capacity that made sense and had purpose. That's yeah. the only, yeah. only thing. Like I'll, I'll go do, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like I, like, oh, like, here's a good example. Like Reno 911 hit my people up and we're like, Hey, does Paul want to do a bit for our new season? Like you're not going to get paid any money doing Reno 911 and it's not going to like help your career really but it's like, it's going to be fun. You'll be good at it. And you get to work with people you admire. Right. So I look at wrestling like that. Like if they could, if they wanted to plug me in as somebody who does workshops and I come in and like do acting workshops and help the men and women on the roster, like level up, I would love to do that. Or um, if they were like, Hey, we'd like to give you a one-year contract. Do you want to be a creative producer? Like I, I would totally think about stuff like that. Yeah. Who, if you were from the performance side of things, if they were like, yeah, well, well, you can obviously be a part of the storytelling and everything. Who would you like to work with in wrestling? If it was like, okay, you're going to come in and you're going to do something like what bad bunny did, maybe three months of a real story that builds and you're going to train. It's not going to be some like schlocky thing. Are there people that you'd specifically go like, yeah, this is who I want to be in the ring with either teaming or against i would want to work with someone fresh into the company mm. um and and just do a storyline about the unpredictability similar to nick nick gage and uh brian pillman not to the degree that anyone gets hurt once again it's about controlled chaos you're writing the chaos but i don't see why they don't have one of these indie guys come into nxt and they're like yep you're gonna be at nxt and he's like been on the road for eight years doing indies and already has a following. And then that guy just shows up on raw. Right. And they're like, why is he on raw? And he's like getting pulled away and it's awkward. And they cut to a segment randomly and it looks like it was, you know, like you're breaking the fourth wall and this guy just showed up. So the idea of someone self-sabotaging their own entry into the company, <laughs> yeah. but it also leading to them like skipping NXT and they're like, no, 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 I'm not doing NXT. I don't need to do preschool. I don't need to do kindergarten. You you put me in the classes I want. And then he points at Seth Rollins or Sami Zayn or somebody and suddenly gets over huge because who, once again, it comes back to emotion. Right. Everyone in the audience has felt underprivileged, underutilized, undermined, and has wanted to do something like they're doing. You know, that escapism is right where if you break the rules, everybody's going, oh, I wish I could do that at my job. Yeah. Like, like it's as simple as that. And you could once again put a rocket on the back of some new person who ends up crushing it, and they look like they're booking their own territory because they're showing up on NXT SmackDown and, and, and Raw. Like, that would be what I would try to do with somebody. Yeah, I would love that too because what you would end up doing – is going like maybe okay he goes for Rollins or something but on his way to Rollins Johnny Gargano shows up on Raw and he goes the only reason you're not on NXT is because you're afraid you're not better than anyone on NXT and now he's got a problem with Gargano and now it's like you can create all this yeah, intertwined it's like stuff the outsiders hostile takeover in WCW 
Um, and suddenly it feels like it suddenly WWE would feel like we don't need to worry about AEW or impact. We have our own issues going on within our own company issues. Sure. Scripted, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's about breaking the mold and the, and the creativity behind all those choices, you know, like, how is there not a wrestler who does everybody else's finish as their finish? <laughs> right. How has it not been done where somebody's like, I am the replicator. I do not have a finish. My finish is your finish, and I do it better than you. So this Sunday, come prepared, Elias. I'm going to make you eat your own guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Like the old, like the old video that game. Would get over better than anything. Like the old video games when you'd like store enough finishes that you could steal your opponent's finish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and. You know, as an actor, there's a lot of tricks and cheats you can do to stand out and, and almost have moments like that where, you know, you never want to play the same level as somebody else. And Black Klansman, it wasn't just me. It was me and like four other dudes who are the, the bad guys in the film. Uh, and, and it's like, if I'm acting the same way as all the other guys, you're not even going to remember me. It won't even feel like I did anything. Right. So, you know, the laugh, the hunch, the underbite, putting the fake dip in my my thing, all those weird little things I do. It's not just like, look at me, I need attention. It's how do I make this thing three dimensional and different so that you actually give a crap? Right. And and I think people in wrestling, acting, whatever, you forget like, like Lil, Lil Nas X and Lady Gaga and these people that do very provocative things sometimes. It's like, they're not doing it for no reason. <laughs> people, people write about it. Yeah. It sells records and whatever, you know, you have to do that or don't expect to not get lost in the shuffle. I was watching Lil Nas X on SNL. Just like, he's a genius. He's a genius. Like, how does this I not? Mean, I mean, you know, that whole thing with the blood and the shoe. Yeah. The, you know, Perfect. Like, it's like, listen, I'm not going to buy the shoes. Sure. I think it's a little weird. I'm not really into it, but it's freedom of speech and he's being a salesman and he's doing a good job of getting attention. This, you know, like Alice Cooper before him, this is kind of what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. Number. Well, all right. Let me ask you this. I know that uh, one of your dream roles is to play Arn Anderson in a movie about the four horsemen, right? This is something that uh, this is something that you would love to do. Okay, so first of all, I think it should be mentioned in as many interviews as possible. Let's get it into the universe. You know what I mean? Let's get somebody is going to hear it. And when you think about a movie about the horsemen, obviously it's a dramatic movie because you're playing Arn. Are we thinking this tells the story of the characters in the ring? This goes much deeper than that and talks about the real relationships that Rick and Arn and 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 Oli and JJ Dillon and Tully had like what what are we thinking my take on it is similar to 1917 it begins and ends the exact same mm -hmm. like the soldier under the tree at the beginning and end of the film it's bookended by Rick is leaving the ring at the beginning covered in sweat mm -hmm. everyone's grabbing at him mm -hmm. and he gets into the locker room and he's the only one in there by himself and the camera's like in the doorway freehand kind of like peering in like docu-style, like Jordan in The Last Dance. Mm -hmm. And Rick looks exhausted and miserable, but then he cracks a beer. And the moment he cracks a beer and takes a sip, it's like Popeye with the spinach. And he's like, 
boys, where are we going tonight? We're going to party with the, you know, like. Yes, I love that. The dichotomy. Then you go, you're on a 24-hour bender with Flair the whole movie. Uh-huh. So it's like it's like the wrestler meets Miles Ahead with Don Cheadle. Yeah. Chaos of Ric Flair in that wrestling world that Aronofsky perfectly exposed. And and me and Tully and and Oli, you know, we're we're helping tell the story and we're more of the audience reaction because Rick is larger than life and these guys are partying with him, but they're also trying to keep him in line and, and save everything they've worked for. So you get a composite film with all the flair stories taking place in one evening. Yeah. And then the film ends with him fighting Dusty in like a 30 minute Broadway or whatever, maybe a cage match. They're all bloodied up. You show the real actors doing all the real wrestling in real time. Mm -hmm. There's no cuts. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, Rick is back in the locker room covered in blood. His thoughts are, you know, I'm, should I be with my kids? What am I doing? What is my life? Am I really the nature boy? How, how do I keep this going? Cracks the beer, takes a sip. <laughs> boys, we're good. And then it, midway through boys, it just cuts to written and directed by Paul Alterhauser. And then, you know, yeah. track and roll track, credits roll. And it's, you know, it would be an Oscar contending type movie. This is not a wrestling movie. This right. is a drama with a ton of dark comedy that just so happens to be about wrestling. Do you have any idea who can play, who could pull off the nature boy? My buddy, Sebastian Stan, I think. Woo! Uh, and, uh, and I want Ethan Supley for, uh, Oli. Love it. And I want, uh, I want freaking like maybe, maybe like Emil Hirsch for Tully Blanchard. Love it. Well, I'll tell and, you, I'll tell you right now. I mean, look, now that I'm bald, I can wear a lot of different wigs Put a pair of sunglasses on me, J.J. Dillon, you know? We, we need you and Pete Rosenberg. Uh -huh. we, we need those guys in the movie making cameos as historical wrestling people. That yeah. Would be yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, look, man, uh, we got to do this again. This is... Uh, this is this is too much fun because there's there's way more wrestling to talk about. I didn't even get into the fact that I, I had seen or read or something that you were a WCW kid growing up, which I really I mean I want to talk your ear off about that because I don't understand that at all. Me and, uh, me and me and Conrad Thompson, I feel like have a kinship. Well, for one, we're just fans of each other and we chat a little bit, but um, he and I have that same thing of like, we really honored and appreciated the NWA WCW life. And a lot of people kind of write it off, but like at one point in WCW's roster, especially the early to mid nineties, mm -hmm. the talent that came through there was insane. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of those matches, Steamboat and Flair, Vader and Sting, Sting and Cactus Jack. I mean, there's some brilliant stuff in there that gets lost in the shuffle. Dude, when I was doing the show on the WWE Network, I went over Starcade and how Starcade was amazing up until 1990. And I said, every Starcade beyond 1990, every main event was terrible, except everyone failed except for one, which was amazing. Ric Flair, Vader, Starcade 93. Flair is a baby face. His career's on the line. They're going to his house to the, pick the, him up. The limo, ride, oh. the limo oh. ride is the greatest. Flair is so subdued 
And his performance is so tiny in the best way. When he's talking to me and Gene, it's like he's going to a funeral. Yeah. You feel like he's going to his own funeral. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so, Starcade 93, Flair versus Vader is unbelievable. It's just great. Well, look, I'm, 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 I'm quite sure Cru- Cruella is also unbelievable. I would encourage everybody, get out there, get to the theater, man. The masks are coming off. Let's get out to the theaters. You know, it'll be on Disney Plus. If you can't get to a theater, it'll be on the Disney Plus uh, premiere thing. But, I mean, get to a theater. It's a good time, you know. And I always say this, man. I like supporting out-of-the-closet wrestling fans. People who are outwardly wrestling fans. You got to support it. Because the more of us that are successful... The more of us there will be. It's just good for everybody. So even if you weren't going to see Cruella and you're a wrestling fan, get out there and see Cruella because one of our own is in there. So come on, guys. What are we doing? I so appreciate the endorsement. And I, I promise you, it is it is worth your while. It's a tremendous movie. I stand by it. Um, it, it has what a lot of Cobra Kai uh, fans want, too. I think it has action, humor, heart, a great ensemble. It's, uh, it's, I think Cobra Kai and Cruella, it's like, these are like the height of great family entertainment. And uh, I'm honored to, to be in those projects. And I, I, I think you, you'd be hard pressed to find a better tag team this summer than Horace and Jasper. So check it out. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate the time. Yeah, dude, we'll do it again. Definitely. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.